to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which he broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one else is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and carried the two stone tablets in his hand. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. O Lord, if I have found favour in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Hi everyone. Uh, The second reading is John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. It's on page 1049. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name is John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Hey folks, welcome. Uh, I'm Roger, one of the assistant ministers here at uh, Newtown Erskineville Anglican. Where you've walked into church tonight, especially if you're a visitor, uh, in kind of the middle of a series that we're doing in January, talked, talking about being shaped by God. I don't know if you remember being in year nine. I prefer to forget it personally. Um, oh, hi. Um, <clears throat> but you know how you become like the people you spend time with? For good and for ill, you become like the people you spend time with. The premise, the thinking behind this series is that when Christians pray, when we come into the presence of God, it does something to us. Uh, And tonight's snapshot, we looked at Jacob last week, we've got Moses tonight, and two more uh, people from the Old Testament in the weeks to come. We're going to look at what happens to Moses, what, what he prays for what he asks God to do. And I want to start by asking you to think about, if you're a person who prays, what do you actually say when you pray? What is it that you speak or think to God? What is the content of your prayers? You don't need to answer out loud. I've been at a conference this last week up in the mountains with a bunch of Christians and in a sea of, you know, 1,000 or 1,500 people, whenever the speaker asks a rhetorical question, one or two people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't need to answer out loud. But what is the content, if you're a person who prays, of your prayer? Now, if you're a visitor tonight whose whose trust is not in Jesus as Lord and King, we're really glad you're here. You've kind of got a window into what Christians do when they pray. Maybe that's not something you've thought about. Uh, Tonight we're going to look at a little bit of the Bible from uh, right near the beginning and at the time of Jesus that sheds some light on what happens when people pray. So I'm going to start by pray heavenly father we pray that tonight as we look at your word that you would speak to us uh, that we would hear your voice and come into your presence that we might know you and know how to live as the people you call us to be in this world and we thank you that you promised to be with us when we gathered like this and we ask that you do your work in us by the power of your spirit amen all right if you've got a bible um it'd be great to turn to exodus 33 page 88 88, two fat ladies. That's a bingo reference for those of you who haven't played a lot of bingo. My grandma loved bingo. Uh, Just uh, an aside before we start, this week has been pretty ordinary for me on a bunch of levels. Um, A girl from our church down at Erskineville, Anastasia, in year 12, one of her classmates from Narrabri died in a car crash. Uh, 
day before yesterday, uh, up the mountains, we found out that a lecturer at the Youth Works College, Andy Stirrup, who goes to church at Menai, died suddenly, 55, three kids. Uh, and yesterday, my wife's grandma died. So if I get a bit you know, emotional during this, take it as, you know, it's just been one of those weeks. <clears throat> okay, Exodus 33 is where we're at. We're looking at Moses and how he's shaped uh, by God in what he prays. I'm going to start at the very bottom right-hand corner uh, of page 87, where that reading came from in verse 12. <clears throat> the way this is going to work is I'm going to talk briefly about glory because it comes up and that'll arc between Exodus and John 1. Then we'll look at a little bit of the context of Exodus and then three things that Moses prays. So firstly, the ark of glory. Uh, if you're an Indiana Jones fan, you'll be thinking about the Ark of the Covenant, that's been talked about just a few chapters before. Uh, <clears throat> what I'm talking now is the fact that if you look at your Bible, we're reading just near the beginning when we look at Exodus. Uh, the Bible, the word Bible means library, and it's a series of books put together that tell a big story. Beginning at the start, the opening phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And at the end, in Revelation 21 and 22, God creates a new heavens and new earth where he makes all things new. And those who are his very own, his possession, those who have found themselves saved by Jesus by putting their trust in this lamb who was slain, is the picture, talking about Jesus' crucifixion, is the big picture that from beginning to end, God is gathering a people for himself and guaranteeing their future. And that future starts when you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and King. Moses, in this little section, talks to God and says, Now, show me your glory. <clears throat> Weird thing to say to someone. Uh, if you say to a cricketer, you kind of, show me your glory, and they bowl beautifully. Or, show me your glory at work, and the guy like does some awesome coding. And you're like, okay, great. Um, <clears throat> whatever your work is, that's the international symbol for typing, by the way. Um, with Moses, as he approaches God... He says, show me your glory. And you kind of think, well, what's going to happen? John chapter 1, which Nick read for us. Thanks for reading, Nick. Uh, it's worth looking at just briefly because what Moses asks for is shown to us in Jesus. So before we attack Exodus, let's get it in perspective by just looking at two verses in John chapter 1. Uh, it's on page 1049, if you've got a red Bible, page 1049, John chapter 1, verse 14. <coughs> If you were born at the right time, when there were no toilets and no penicillin and no internet, perish the thought, you could have met God, is the assertion of John. That the word who was in the beginning with God, Jesus, became flesh. See what verse 14 says? The word made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who was at the Father's side. If you had been in first century Palestine, you could have seen Jesus. You could have touched like Thomas does in John chapter 20. You could have touched his hands after he'd risen from the dead and seen where they'd nailed him to a cross. You could have put your hand in Jesus' side and seen where the spear of the Roman centurion had pierced him to make sure that he was dead before he was placed in a tomb. If you had been in the right place at the right time, you could have met 
God. That's what Christians claim. We weren't there, but we have seen Jesus in his word, in the words that God has recorded for us in the Bible. This is why, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, steal one from church tonight or take an essential Jesus from the foyer because in reading the Bible, in reading God's word, you get to know him. And as John 17 verse 3 says, knowing God is eternal life because in him is life. In knowing Jesus is life itself. Now, The glory of God that's displayed in Jesus is found in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. The glory that Moses sees is just at the start of the big story. And so as we look at Exodus, we've got to keep Jesus in mind. That Jesus is the end, the completion, the fulfillment of what Moses sees just in part back in Exodus 33. Let's go there. Exodus 33. I love hearing the sound of flicking. Thank you for your encouragement. Yeah. It's, even if just two people turn the pages noisily, that'd be great. Exodus 33, verse 12. Uh, Moses asks three things of God. Moses asks three things of God. Where have we come from so far in Exodus? We're at chapter 33. Exodus, uh, the way I teach my kids is Exodus is like exit. It's the story of their being saved from slavery for service of God. Saved out of being slaves in Egypt Uh, Joseph's family, starting off as just a couple of dozen, go into Egypt, they multiply, there's hundreds of thousands of them. They're not hundreds and thousands, that would be weird. Um, But there's hundreds and thousands of them and they're enslaved and using Moses, who's frankly kind of pathetic, he's a murderer. He says when God calls him, "Um, is there anyone else I'd rather not do it? I I don't speak that good. Using Moses, God brings judgment on the people of Egypt as all the firstborn people and animals die. But those who have their doorposts covered in the blood of a lamb, looking forward to Jesus, are saved. And that night they bolt through the sea that's been opened up, Israel's national day of baptism, as they walk through the water into freedom. They walk into the place where God tells them to go. He's with them by fire, by cloud, and he's given them his ten words, the the good words. This is how to live as my free people. That's what happens at Mount Sinai that Amy talked about when she read this. Moses has been up in the chapters before, up on top of Sinai for 40 days. The people are like, 40 days? That's a long time for Moses to be up in the mountain. Has something happened to Moses? How about we get the gold that we took from the Egyptians, good plundering, And we just make a calf and we'll say, we can't see God because he's up in the cloud. We'll just make a calf. And that will be a symbol of the God who saved us out of Egypt. Have a look at what God says at the end of chapter 32. Last verse of 32, bottom of page 87. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf that Aaron had made. As we hit chapter 33... It's God showing his mercy again. He said to Moses, lead the people. And we pick up the conversation in verse 12 with Moses' first request. His request is that he would know God. He would know God. And you've got to ask yourself as we read this, is this something that you pray? That you would know God. Here's Moses, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know 
whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you've found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The first thing Moses asks is that he would know God. This is a beautiful thing to pray. This is a right thing for you to pray when you pray to your Father in heaven, when you pray to the Sovereign Lord. If you are pleased with me, Moses says, teach me your ways so that I may know you. It's an odd way to ask to know someone, isn't it? Moses says, teach me your ways that I would know you. He's asking, show me how to live Because in living a certain type of life, I will get to know the sort of God that you are. See, it's not just a head knowledge, although it is knowledge that he has in his brain. The knowledge of God that the Bible talks about is a knowledge that you can walk in. It's where God says, be like me. Live this way because it's the best. It's right for you. God says, love me above all else. God says, forgive as you've been forgiven. That's something you can't just think about. You've got to actually do it to experience it. God says, be rich in mercy and generosity because that's what I've been like with you. Teach me your ways that I may know you. You might have had this experience yourself. You might have thought that you were a Christian because you knew stuff about God. In as much as I think I'm an electrician because I've read some books about electricity, but I have no idea what to do when I undo a light switch. I will probably kill myself because I haven't walked in the ways of electricity, so to speak. It's right for you to pause and reflect. Have you actually done what God has asked you to do as his person? Have you started living in a way that shows that you trust him at his word? This is how you get to know God. There's a sense in which you taking that step of living the way he calls you to live, putting your faith in him and living this Christian life, is different to just assenting to it intellectually. And in doing that, you you know it in a way that you don't just in your brain. By the way, there are pigeons in the roof. It's not sound effects we've introduced. I'm sorry for the distraction. Uh, Some of the people who come to this church are doctors, uh, and I've often heard doctors say, watch one, do one, teach one. It's the way you learn surgery. Watch one, do one, teach one. How do you become an expert at something? It's not just by observing and knowing. It's by doing and even instructing. And I think there's something about that in the way that God asks that Moses asks God that he would reveal himself. So first thing that Moses does is ask that he might know God. Notice also in the last little sentence there in verse 13, remember that this nation is your people. Moses calls on the character of God. Hey, remember what you've been doing since right at the beginning, Adam and Eve, your people, Abraham, the nation you promised would spring from his old barren loins. Remember these people that you haven't forgotten, that you keep saving, that you keep providing for. This is what you've promised to do, Lord. Now, I pray that I might know you and walk in your ways. The first thing that Moses asked for is that he might know God. It's a good way to pray. Secondly, 
The second thing that Moses asks for is that God will be with him. That God will be with him. Is this a thing that you've prayed? What would it look like for God to be with you? Verse 15. Moses said, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. He's talking about going to the promised land. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the Lord? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. For Moses to be certain that God is with him, there's, there's a presence of God that goes with him. What is that? In this case, the presence of God has been up to this point a dirty big pillar of fire by day, by night, and cloud by day. You can see it when Israel go out of Egypt. You can see there's fire and cloud, the presence of God. It's not always going to be that way for Egypt, uh, for Israel. What Moses gets is God's presence right in his face. Have a look at verse, nine, uh, verse 19. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name. It's worth just pausing there for a minute. Uh, for us, names, relatively insignificant. If you having a child sometime this year, good chance your kid's name will rhyme with Jaden, Braden, Hayden, something like that. Let me counsel you against that. But um, <clears throat> in Israel especially... Names had significance. Uh, we called our son Joshua, Samuel, Scott. I always wanted two middle names, so I gave him two. Uh, he's called Samuel because we prayed for years that we would have children, and eventually God heard. Samuel means God hears. God has made himself known as, back in Exodus 3, I am who I am, or more literally, in the burning bush. Moses says, what, who will I say is sending me? And God describes himself as, I will be who I will be. Saying to Moses, you'll get to know me as I act in history. Can you see how Jesus is the fulfillment of that? That you know what God is like, not just through his actions all the way through the Old Testament, in repeatedly, mercifully coming to his people after they've walked away from him. But in Jesus, God's revealed himself in action coming to a people who reject him, dying for their sins while they declare him to be an outcast, rising to life and offering forgiveness even after that. This is the Lord who has revealed himself. But as God reveals himself to Moses, see there in verse 19, his goodness passes in front of Moses and his name is proclaimed. What is it? The Lord. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Down in chapter 34, verse 6, you get the similar thing. His name, the Lord, passing in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands of generations and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin but not leaving the guilty unpunished, punishing the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Just something to say about generations there. 
Notice how the love of God to thousands far outshines his justice. The Lord is just and fair. And we'll hear in a minute how that's terrifying. But his love far outstrips his justice. So that we can say that he is the Lord, the Lord, full of compassion and mercy. This is the God that Moses sees. He's in the very presence of God. And like I said at the beginning, if you had been around at the right time, you could have met Jesus and been in his presence. As Jesus ascends to the Father in uh, the book of Acts, he sends the Holy Spirit to be with his people. If you are a Christian, uh, the Bible promises that the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is in you. That God's presence is not distant from you, depending on how good you've been this week, although it can be tempting to think that, but that God is in you and with you wherever you go. Do you believe that? God is with you. Not because of anything that you have done, but because the Lord is committed to being with his people. Notice Moses' motivation for asking this. It's not just so things will be good for you. Notice the motivation in verse 16. How will anyone know that you're pleased with us? Moses' motivation is that the nations would recognize that these people are God's people. The purpose of God being present with you is not just so that things will be nice for you. Unfortunately, following in the footsteps of a crucified Christ means they probably won't be in the short term. But people will see that you are different to this world, that you are light shining in darkness, that your heart has been turned from a heart of stone coldness to God to a heart that's alive to him. That you've been renewed and refreshed and made new because of your faith in Jesus. Because God is at work in you. I don't know what you do for work, but I'm guessing it involves people at some point. I used to be a primary school teacher. And sometimes it's lovely seeing kids change and grow. But the longer I did it, the more I realized I'm really, I'm really not capable of changing a person. Have you figured that out in your workplace yet? That as hard as you try, you just can't change at the core of what a person is like? God can do that. God can change people because he made us. If you believe in a God who creates, you believe in a God who continues to sustain and is able to do whatever he likes with his creation. That's us, his creatures. God can change people. If you're a Christian, you have a story of how God has changed your life because of his presence with you and in you by his spirit. And so when you pray, it's right to keep asking God to do his work in you, to be with you so that people will recognize the type of God that he is. The third thing that Moses prays in this little section uh, is a little bit surprising. Moses finishes up his prayer. You kind of feel him ramping up that we might know you, that we might have you with us. And you kind of expect him to hit the top note that, that we will conquer everything before us as we go into the land. But it's not actually like that. Have a look uh, at the last bit that we read in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 34. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. And here's the content of his worship. O Lord... If I have found favour in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, 
forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. In his final words to God in this little section, Moses recognises what he deserves from the hand of God. What do you think you deserve from the hand of God? I am tempted when I pray to think that I have all sorts of things that God should provide for me. A life that's healthy and fun, involving good food, faithful friendships. What do you expect God to give you? What do you think you deserve from God? Because your expectations when you pray will play a very big part in how disappointed or grateful you are for what you receive. Moses recognises, as he finishes here, that at his heart and at the heart of his people, we deserve nothing from God except his justice and punishment. I wonder if you believe that. When I stand before the holy God, I deserve nothing at all. God doesn't have to give me anything. That's a hard lesson to learn. God doesn't deserve, sorry, you don't deserve anything from the hand of God. Except for justice, for living in a way that is personally offensive to the God who made you and continues to sustain you. Does this shape your prayers? When we come on our knees before God, we recognise that we deserve nothing. And yet God chooses to be gracious and compassionate. And so we boldly come into his presence saying, what does Moses say? Verse 9, O Lord, if I've found favour in your eyes, then go with us. Although we're stiff-necked, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Two things. Firstly, it's a plea. Please forgive us. And notice, if we found favour in your eyes. It's a kind of, huh, if we have? Upward inflection, maybe? Remember how we started talking about the ark? When you know that God loves you, you can be certain that he will forgive you when you pray. How do we know? How do you know that God loves you? Because he's demonstrated his love for you, that Christ died for you while you were his enemy. Not while you were being good and nice and kind and trying to get to God. While you were God's enemy, Christ died. And so you can pray with confidence. Lord, forgive me. Not because of anything I've done or because of anything that I am. And you can pray whatever you like. Knowing that God is a good father who will give you what you need. Give us today our daily bread. Not just what I want, but what I need. It's not a particularly comfortable place to end, but it's a reminder as Moses prays that he would know God as he really is, that God will be with him and do what's good for him and the nations around him by making himself known.
and that if it pleases God, he would forgive the sin of people because of his loving faithfulness. This is our God. This is the good news we as individuals and a church bring to the people around us, to our suburb, that God is full of compassion. Is this the God who shapes your prayers? Is this the God who shapes you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have revealed to us what you are like. We thank you for your words and we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that through him we can know you. Thank you that uh, through the spirit that he sends, you go with us. And we thank you that we can be certain of the forgiveness of sins that comes through him. Father, teach us to pray uh, that we might know you, that we might be your people, that we might do your work in the world and that people might be drawn to you for your name's sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au Thank you.